chapter 2. And we will read this evening the first ten verses. And I just might add, um, I'm not sure which time this is, maybe the third or the fourth time, the encouragement to you uh, to, to put these first ten verses to memory. You know, challenge yourself. Um, when I had the kids memorize the Ten Commandments, I'd say, you should know the Ten Commandments forward and backwards. And so then I'd have them go through it in order, and then I'll do it backwards. And these verses are like that, right? We, sh- we should know these verses. Uh, their content, their information, their, uh, their subject matter, uh, it, it, it just flows. Uh, in fact, I, I think the, uh, the three sections of the Heidelberg Catechism, the greatness of your sin and misery, how you're redeemed from your sin and misery, and then how you are to thank God for that deliverance. It's all right here. First ten verses. So this, this evening we're going to look at the last verse of our, that we're going to be reading. That is verse 10. And uh, really we're going to be um, uh, focusing in the, the consequence. And as you see in the sermon title in the bulletin, the inevitable consequence of good works in the believer's life. So let's read these ten verses, and then we will give our consideration to uh, the meaning and implication of these things. And uh, I will just do a real brief summary of what we've covered for uh, the sake of of those who haven't heard the first part. So let's read the ten verses, first ten verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you, he made alive, and really those three words aren't supposed to be there, so really... And you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So just looking back over these ten verses. Verses one through three is the bad news about the good news. The bad news, we're sinners, just like everybody else. The bad news, all stand before the righteous judgment of God, condemned. Without hope, without a future, without a chance. In fact, the terminology here is indisputable. It's even repeated. 
dead. What do dead people do? They do nothing. That's right. They're dead people. And that's how they would stay. That's how we would stay. Unless and until we are acted upon. You're not thinking about zombies, I hope. (laughs) Uh, We would be dead and we would stay dead, right? Until and unless we are acted upon. That's what verse 4 says. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive to gather with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead. We were made alive. The instrumentality of this unfolding work of redemption and the grace and mercy of God was our connection to the work of Christ. We were made to alive. What does it say there? To gather with Christ. We were raised up with him and we were made to sit with him in the heavenly places. And so my point only at this point is we were acted upon by which we went from being dead to being alive, to being raised up to newness of life, to being seated with Christ, with God in the heavenlies. And uh, just a side note, verse 7, why did God do this? What was he thinking? Well, he wanted us to see the wonder of his love. The exceeding greatness of his kindness and his mercy toward us. Why did he want to do that? Well, we ask him. But this says, why did he bring redemption about? Why did he save you? Why did he save me from the the logical result and consequence of our sins? And the answer is because he wanted to show us how great and kind and merciful he was. This is not unlike what we read in Romans chapter 9, where where it says that God has some, from some pieces of clay, he makes fancy stuff. From other pieces of clay, he makes common stuff. Why does God do that? Well, because God wants to do that. And that's what he does. In the context here of Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and so on, uh, he's really going to show to us why God has brought about the work of redemption to gather it all. The answer, so that Jews and Gentiles might put their hope and faith in him and be saved. That they might know him and love him. So, verses 1, 2, 3, our sin. Verses 4, 5, 6, and I suppose 7, how did we get redeemed and how do we get saved? So then what about verses 8 and 9? What are they telling us? They're telling us how we are to think about what God has done for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so really what verses 8 and 9 are concerned about, that we as redeemed people understand where that redemption came from. How it is that we benefited from the grace of God. From the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the answer is that God did it all. That his grace and mercy were sufficient for us and supplied to us all that we need. Well, our interest is in the next verse. And you notice it starts with the four. And where you see this four, it's explaining. 
it's, it's going to describe our, how, why something is in relationship to something that preceded it. And so, redemption is full and free, the work of God, received unmerited to, by us as God's people. And, and then it says the consequence. For we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Look at that first phrase first. We are his workmanship. We have probably some more translations out here. Any other words than workmanship in your Bibles? I think the, 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 the NIV uses craftsmanship. I mean, you, you can look at a little, a little pulpit like this, and you can see that wh- whoever made this thing pretty well knew what they were doing. Uh, I've been impressed with this particular pulpit because it looks flimsy, but it really is downright solid. Uh, it, it's well made. And, and so what that tells me is that whoever designed this and put it together knew what they were doing. Right? It was made by an artisan. It was made by a craftsman. And when we speak of ourselves in that same manner, what are we saying about God? Well, we are saying that God knew what he was doing when he designed us and and brought us to himself through the effective working of his grace in the gospel. And so we, we we, we will see that the apostle explains to believers the inevitable place of obedience Uh, that they will bring forth to the Lord. Uh, That we are saved by grace, that we might bring glory to our Father. And and that, of course, is is just what it says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are the objects of his workmanship. Notice how we're described. His workmanship. We are his workmanship. We're not our workmanship. We're his workmanship. That is to say, as we have been regenerated, as we are being sustained, as we are being kept, as as we are being watched over and supplied in, in all things and, and in every way, uh, we, we recognize that where we are and where we've come to is not the result of luck, of chance, of determination, of some special insight or wisdom. No. We are where we are because God is a gracious God. Because His mercy and His grace have, have been sufficient for all of our needs. In fact, we say this very thing in the first question and answer of the catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Well, the answer comes back that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am what? Not my own. But I belong to him. I belong to the one who bought me and paid for me. The one who redeemed me and set me free from my guilt, my sin, my shame, my allegiance to the devil. And so forth. We belong to him. That's what this verse, the first part of this verse is saying. For we are his workmanship. And of course this is the the outcome 
isn't it? The, the consequence of his, the application, as it were, of his redemption to the hearts and minds of God's people. In fact, theologically, we, we, st- we break this apart in, in our discussion. We talk about theology proper, about God, his character, his attributes, and all of those things. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about anthropology. What, what is man? Where did he start? What effect did the fall have? The consequence, and so on. Then we come to Christology, about, who, about Christ, his nature, his work, his redemption, his active and passive obedience, but then we come to the next section, which is called, I mean, what, what I call is soteriology. That is to say, the application of the work of Christ to the hearts and the minds and the lives of his people. That application is, is, is what this passage is emphasizing. We come into contact with him, or, or, or as question answer 20 of the catechism says, by true faith, we are engrafted into Christ and receive all his blessings. Well, we can talk about that. What does that look like? What what does a person who's engrafted into Christ sound like? What does he act like? Well, that's all pretty clear. They're they're meek, they're gentle, they're humble. They they have servants' hearts. They they are mindful to to, to seek and and, and to do the work that is set before them. And, And all of these things are a testimony to the fact that they look and depend upon the grace of God uh, in Christ Jesus. And, and so it is that we, we, we recognize that we are born again by the Spirit of God. We are, our eyes are opened because of His life. And, and the way this works is, sure, faith is active and busy in this. In, in John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, I think it is, it says that, he came to his own, but his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born, three strikes and you're out, right? Not of themselves, not of their parents, and not of the will of the minister, somebody else. But they were born of God. They were born by the Spirit from above. And of course, that's part and parcel of what it says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose that he appointed to us. So we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That is to say, molded and shaped after his will for the purpose and design that he has given Uh, in our hearts and in our lives. The means that was used by the craftsman, you know, we talked about the suffering of Christ. Well, that's what God did. That's what Christ did for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came. He surrendered his life. He was our substitute. And as if that wouldn't be enough, he, he then gives new life to us and and, and covers and clothes us uh, with himself so that we uh, might know him and and love him for who he is and for what he has done. Uh, What does this look like? What does this sound like for the believer who's been born again, who's been renewed by the Spirit from above? Well, it it is to regard uh, God with absolute allegiance. And so you'll, you'll read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The sum of the gospel in the first three words. 
in view of God's mercy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of all that he's done on your behalf, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service. And and, and is the charge included there for uh, sanctification and, and, and earnest devotion to him? Absolutely. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you, might, that you might show forth the, the praises of God. Uh, the, the discussion in John chapter 15 with the vine and the branches. Jesus says he is the vine. Any, anyone that stays connected to the vine, his life will flow in us and through us. And, and we will mature and grow. And it can't be otherwise. Right? Remember the word inevitable in the sermon title there? This is what happens when people are regenerated by the Spirit of God. They become new creatures in Christ. They, are in, they, 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 they stay together with Christ. They stay connected to Him. His life flows in them and through them. And, and they become fruitful. They grow strong. Uh, in fact, uh, at prison this past week, it was two weeks ago I... Uh, I read Psalm 92 to these men. That's when that starts out, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, O Most High. Uh, to, 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 to worship in the morning and again at night. But at the end of the psalm it says, so that in your old age you can still be fruitful and faithful to God. That you will still serve the purpose that He has appointed to you. Well, that purpose, that fruitfulness, that faithfulness is exactly what Ephesians 2.10 is referring to. We are His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, that God has ordained. Hear my voice. Follow me. Know the will of your Master. And live before Him with with, with thankfulness and and service to Him. So this created in Christ Jesus, well, we're designed for a purpose. Is really what that means. Uh, In in fact, you want to hold your your, your finger here. Turn turn to um, one of the last books of the Bible, the the, the epistle of James. There's a remarkable verse. Chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, verse 17, as you're turning there, I'll read that. But I want to get to verse 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. You know what that means in short? That God is always the same. What was right and true to God on Mount Sinai is right and true of God today. His will is unyielding, is unchanging. He knows and His reasons and His purposes are forever settled. Verse 18, where I wanted to get to. He says, of His own will, of His own desire, He brought brought us forth by the word of truth. Of His own will, He brought us forth by, his, by the word of truth, that, 
that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What does it mean to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures? I think it means that we're to be shiny examples of what a life that's redeemed and renewed by the Spirit of God looks like and sounds like. Because we were created for this purpose and for no other. You were created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do His will. To bring glory to His name. To sing His praise. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all His creatures. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah? What, what, did God say to, what did God say to Satan about Job? Where have you been, Satan? Oh, I've been going to and fro over all the earth. Did you notice my servant Job? Yeah, he, he doesn't serve you in vain. You're just blessing him so much. That's why he serves you. And he says, look, take away what he has. See what happens. And he takes away all that he has. Job's wife? Miss discouragement? What does she say? <laughs> yeah, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? And what does Job say? Should we take good from the Lord's hand but not evil? And, and as if that wasn't enough, Satan comes back, says, touch his skin, then he'll curse you. God says, have at it. So he puts boils on him, makes him suffer, sorrow, pain. I'm sure it was a full spectrum of, of, of issues, right? Uh, inside and out was pain and hurt. What did Job do? He held fast to the promise of God, to the hope of God. He says, my, my eyes are going to fail, my skin's going to fall off, but I'm going to see God. I'm going to see God one day. And of course, why did he do that? Because his nature had been transformed by the power of the gospel. And hopefully none of us have to go through anything like that, right? But our commitment to God, our devotion to him, we don't set the terms. But we do need to recognize the grace. We do need to acknowledge the God who gave it, the mercy that has come to us, the love that has been shown to us. For we are his workmanship. We, we, we are the product of his effort. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, new creatures in Christ. For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So whatever path the Lord has appointed for us, the challenge, the obligation, the duty, is to hold fast. To trust firmly to the end. Uh, it's like that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, is it 12 or 14? I think it's verse 14. It says, For no temptation or trial has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But with the trial, God will provide a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. So in other words, you don't need to worry about the outcome. You need to worry about the being faithful in the meantime. To hope, to trust, to depend Upon the grace and the goodness of God. And so the intended goal of the craftsman is that we might show what God has done in our hearts and lives. 
we might delight in His mercy, that we might sing His praise, that, that we might relish the fellowship, the joy, the peace, the love that comes to us uh, through His grace and mercy. Brothers, sisters, let us always hope and depend upon the promise of God. Uh, let us never think that He expects too much of us for all that we are, all that we have, we've received. And it's, and it's that posture of, of humble dependence, reliance upon the goodness and mercy of God that will enable us to hold fast and to serve Him our whole lives with our whole life. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, as we interact with a passage like this, we, we don't find a series of commands and exhortations. But we, we have a description of a reality that is lived by faith and by faith alone. We thank you for the, the wonder of, of your mercy toward us. And, and why you would show mercy to us, we don't know. But that you have, we have heard. It has warmed our hearts and uh, enkindled our souls uh, that we might rest and depend upon you. Oh Lord, receive our thanks, our worship and praise from this day forth even forevermore. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time in our service, we will receive your tithes and offerings. Our concluding hymn is number 534. 534, I transposed the numbers and I typed it up. Uh, oh, for a closer walk with God, number 534. We'll stand to sing.
you go from this place, receive this parting blessing. This is from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect unto every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise God from whom.